SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Every advantage you can get. Congratulations. You just found it. The winning edge. Sports gaming strategies and information you won't find anywhere else. 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Are you ready? This is Pushing the Odds. Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas! Here's your host, Matt Peralt. Welcome to Friday, everybody. It is Pushing the Odds here in Las Vegas. Matt Peralt with you. We are here exclusively for the first hour of this show on Sirius XM, Channel 204 for us on Sports Grid Radio. A lot to get to on the show, including U.S. Open coverage. Ryan Bollinger is going to come on in. He'll set up the weekend for us. Round three and four tomorrow. Who wins the U.S. Open? And why did the public take the bait with Phil Mickelson? Look, I hope Phil makes the cut. We'll watch it today. We'll let you know, but mm, I don't know. (laughs) Phil was complaining about cell phones going off yesterday, all sorts of different things going on. So uh, we are looking and watching closely for Mike Conley and the Utah Jazz. If Mike Conley can play tonight, all right, that's extraordinarily significant. I would be ecstatic as somebody who is hoping that the Jazz are going to win tonight. I would be ecstatic about it, but I just, I don't trust Utah unless they get Mike Conley back. If they don't get him back tonight, I think Utah's in real trouble. And look at the the line I think will move. And I think if you want to make a, you know, Utah is favored tonight by two, which is kind of interesting, even though it's on the road at L.A., if Conley gets cleared, maybe that's already baked into the line that the books are anticipating Mike Conley playing, and so that's why it's minus two already, uh, but it probably will rise, and I don't know. I think there's a lot of value in the Clippers again tonight without Kawhi Leonard. There is that fear or that that, that feeling that maybe the Clippers in game one without Kawhi, they all rose up and played really well above their heads, hit a bunch of threes, and now game two without Kawhi, Things will be much different. They'll come back down. We won't see Marcus Morris, <clears throat> excuse me, score over 25 points. You know, Paul George won't be, you know, playoff P, and we, we just see a different type of attitude in game from the LA Clippers. And the Utah Jazz will win game six and send this thing to a game seven back at home. Very possible. But I, I think the only way that happens is if Mike Conley Jr is going to be eligible to play tonight if he can go on that hamstring. So we'll watch that closely today. We'll break down Philly in Atlanta tonight. Huge game six. And Atlanta at home, they better not go back. <laughs> they better not go back. Ugh, I don't know. if They need to win this game if they're going to end the series because Philadelphia is the better team. I'm not playing around, by the way, with this game tonight. I am just going to sit there and say I'm taking Philadelphia in the first half minus one and a half, and that's it. 
I know it's ris- it's rose up to minus two and a half now in the first half, but I'm just not playing around with the second half. I'm not playing around with Ben Simmons free throws. I'm not playing around with Joel Embiid. Just not touching it. All right, <laughs> to get involved with this game, it's one and a half first half. Philadelphia having the lead basically by a one possession at the break, and that's all I'm touching with this game. I can't do anything else with it. Really can't. I've been watching Boston. And listening to Boston Sports Radio today, I'm from Boston. So whenever a big deal goes down, Boston traded Kemba Walker today. Did not think Brad Stevens could pull that off. They they freed up nearly $10 million in salary cap space by doing this. They gave up a first-round pick next year for it. The 16th pick in the draft coming up, they gave it up to bring back Al Horford to get Moses Brown, who's a young, uh, you know, young player who's got some potential. But the first-round pick is the big one that Boston had to give up. Oklahoma City again with another first-round pick. I mean, they have like 10,000 first-round picks. But Kemba Walker being gone for Boston is pretty significant. And it also is interesting to watch and see how the roster gets built because they've got too many centers now. And you know that Brad Stevens wants to totally redo everything in the way that he wants it done. Who's the coach? Could it be Rick Carlisle, who just left Dallas? And there's a possibility there are some rumors out there flying around that maybe Rick Carlisle, he'll take a look at the job market, but maybe Boston is a place where he would wind up. He's a really good coach, spent 13 years with the Dallas Mavericks. I'm watching this, and I'm listening to Boston talk about, well, one, that trade, but also the conversation about legalization of sports betting in Massachusetts, in my home state. And I just can't believe that Massachusetts is going to be, I mean, they're saying now it could be three more years before Mass legalizes sports betting. Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and soon-to-be Maine will all have sports betting legalized. The state with the casino in the major market, and I know there are casinos in Connecticut, but the major market, Boston, has a win casino, Encore, is there in the market. It's in the market. And yet they have not tried to push this and try to get this done quickly. I I just don't get my home state. I just don't understand it. The entire region, New York, New Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island. You just go up and, and Mass is going to be sitting there looking with the most rabid of cities in that area with the most black market going on betting, and they're going to slow play it. I mean, you want to go back and look at old school, like what people think about Boston and backroom deals and smoky rooms and keeping things the way that they have always been. Yep. There are people with bags making sure this happens because the black market in Boston is quite robust. Heck, my grandfather was part of it. He got arrested when I was in high school for running numbers out of his bar in Lawrence, Massachusetts. People like the things to stay the way they are in my home state. Amazing. Our four big stories still to come here. Don't move. It is a Friday for Pushing the Odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
Everybody's got an opinion. Go ahead. Ask them. But only a few have an opinion informed by expert analysis and experience. It's called trust. It's why we're here for you. Keep it here and get the edge. You're listening to the Sports Grid Radio Network. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. All right, so we are going to be heavily into the U.S. Open today and heavily into basketball today. We will get to hockey later on. Vegas taking on Montreal in game number three of their best of seven series. There are some COVID concerns. The interim coach for Montreal is currently being isolated due to COVID issues or inconsistencies with the testing for COVID. So we'll get to that a little bit later on in the program. I just want to put a bow here on the legalization conversation that, that I was watching and listening to in in Boston because, you know, my home state is notorious for being just out to lunch for so many things. And it is – I hate using the word corrupt because corruption is such a unique – I mean, it's – what do you mean by that? Like there's all different levels of it. There's legalized corruption. There's illegal corruption. There's just, you know, people who are – crooked and never get caught for it. But Boston, I, I learned this because my father worked in the state house for years and I grew up going to the Massachusetts state house with my father and I grew up around politics for a really long, long time. It's what led me to sports talk radio really, because I, I love arguing and I was that kid at the, you know, at the Thanksgiving table telling my uncles that they were morons about the Red Sox or the Celtics or whatever at like seven, eight years old. And they were like, what? <laughs> and it, I was just kind of like a naturally, I don't know, gifted arguer. It just comes very naturally to me to argue with people. And oftentimes people get all, especially now where everyone's very, very sensitive People tend to really get turned off when I just tell them something honestly and just tell them what I really think, and they don't know what to do with that. It's it's really kind of funny. They all kind of freeze, and people just kind of clamor, and they, they don't know what to do when someone actually just, like, doesn't, uh, you know, I'm not soft. How about that? <laughs> My arguing is not soft. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't soft play when I come to arguing, and I... I've often said that my home state just is stupid. I mean, it's just there are too many people who have too many uh, alternative motives to keep legalization of sports betting down. And Boston is a monster waiting to go legal. But the bookies who operate in Massachusetts, the people who have the illegal bookmaking rings and the offshores and everybody else, they want to keep that state in the black market. They want to keep it illegal. And if you were doing it right, you would be forcing the, this hand, their hands. To, you would be pushing so hard for legalization. You'd be doing everything in your power to do it legally and make it go legal because of the money that will be made for the state, but also for the companies that will be operating out of there. I mean, FanDuel will be in there immediately. We know that Win's already there, so WinBet will be in there immediately. There's just so many things that will happen that Massachusetts will be one of the bigger states for sports betting handle. Everyone knows this. But the problem is that they're not going to legalize because of the problems that come with passing anything in that state. And so you've got all these people who are going to clutch their pearls and get all upset about, well, what are you going to do if you have people who are addicted to gambling? It's like, what do you do now when people have addictions to gambling? Like, it's <laughs> the same thing. You get them help. You treat them. 
You give them opportunities to better themselves. You try to help them from their addiction. Yes. What do you do with alcoholics? What do you do to people who are hooked on heroin? What do you do with people who are hooked on oxy? I mean, I mean, like, let's be honest here. Like, we celebrate alcohol in New England. We love alcohol in New England. And it kills thousands every year. And so, like, what are you talking about? Like, you just can't be this big of a, this much hypo, of a hypocrite when it comes to where this state's going. You know, Tennessee is legal. There are states that I never thought would go legal are legal before Massachusetts. As I told you, my grandfather, the first bet I ever made in my life was actually in New Hampshire, at Rockingham Park in New Hampshire with my grandfather. He took me to the track in Rockingham Park, and I made my first horse bet when I was 12 years old. My grandfather was then booked about a year later, was arrested for running numbers out of his bar, the Sears Tavern in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and I had to learn what running numbers was. I didn't know what it was at the time. I was 13. I was like, what is running numbers? What does that mean? What did Grandpa get arrested for? Grandpa got arrested for running numbers. It's been in my family for a very, very long time. Been around sports betting for a very, very long time. And to me, my grandfather getting arrested then, I thought it was stupid when I was 13. I'm 44, and people getting popped for bookmaking is still stupid. And it's still dumb. (laughs) But the state just is... (sighs) It's so frustrating. It really is because there's so much money to be made there, and there are so many really cool things that could happen with Massachusetts. For I mean, forget the rest of the state. It's all Boston. Like you don't even call it Mass. It's Boston, Massachusetts. When Boston goes legal, there are I mean, my goodness, there are so many people who are going to be in sports books and really fun things that will happen. And it's just so frustrating. It really is ridiculous. I'm just. Whenever I see that, I thank my lucky stars that I live in Vegas. Like, I just, I'm so happy to be in Nevada. I'm so happy to be here in this state. I get to do what I want. Everything here that I like to do is legal, okay? Everything I want to do is legal. I'm never breaking laws. I'm never worrying about it. Everything I enjoy doing in my adult life, I get to do here in in Nevada, in, in Las Vegas, legally. Thank goodness. And I just feel for my friends in my home state because they just, it's got to be so frustrating. All right, let's talk about our four big stories. Sixers tonight. Doc Rivers thinks his team is having some mental issues, including Ben Simmons. He agrees when it comes to Ben Simmons and free throws, it's all mental. No, we'll get back up. I mean, we'll, we'll be back here for game seven. I, I believe that, you know. Um, the mood was down. It was awful. What, what, what would you think it would be? It would have to be, right? And so this is part of sports. You know, you, you have some awful moments. Uh, and it, uh, there's no guaranteed path to, to get into your goal. Um, we have made this hard on ourselves. We have to own up to that, all of us. Um, and then we have to get up and be ready for the next game. And, and it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Um, good. Um, we'll be ready for it. It's a major U.S. Open. That means Brooks Kepka's in contention. He talked about his round one performance yesterday. I mean, you can't win it today, but you can definitely lose it. So it's nice to get off to a good start, put it well, drove well on the back nine, my front, but, um, you know, missed a couple fairways uh, there, which wasn't – I missed them on the correct side, which is what you got to do um, depending on where the pin location is and get lucky enough where you got a decent line and get it there. So, um, you know, Pretty pleased. Not not the best, but uh, I'll definitely take it. 
Bucks take game six last night at home in impressive fashion. Game seven coming up on the road back in Brooklyn. Mike Budenholzer wants this team to stay ready for what could be a wild game seven in Brooklyn. The series is a little bit unique. Just, you know, um, injuries are always a part of a series, a part of the playoffs. Um, you know, they've had guys come back healthy. Um, you know, they have guys out. It's It's been, you know, for them, a little bit of a revolving team, a different team, and kind of from, you know, sometimes from night to night. Um, you know, so we just got, we got to be ready for whoever plays in game seven. Uh, it could be a different game, could be a different group. Uh, we just got to figure out a way to, to play and compete. Fourth and finally, Rick Carlisle out in Dallas. He spent 13 years there. Could Boston be a landing spot for Rick Carlisle? Woes on the job opportunities for Carlisle now. A marketplace right now where there are multiple openings, and Rick Carlisle is unique in that marketplace in that he has won a championship. And I think for teams who are more win now right now, this was a chance for Rick Carlisle to, to move on and ultimately I think feeling like there was an, inev- an ev- inevitable end in Dallas with this group, with this era. It's going to be very Interesting. We got a bunch of big jobs that are open, a bunch of really good jobs. New Orleans is open, obviously. Indiana is open. Young talent, Washington, veteran talent. Carlisle's going to have his pick here to go where he wants to go. Very interesting. Next, we got two NBA games, one NHL game to break down baseball as well. We'll look at the slate tonight for what, for a Friday here before we get to Ryan Bollingy about the U.S. Open. It's a Friday. Pushing the odds here on Sports Grid Radio. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. here 24 hours a day seven days a week 52 weeks a year don't believe us never turn us off you'll see keep listening to the sports grid radio network this is pushing the odds live from las vegas here's matt peralt All right, let's look at the live odds here at the FanDuel Sportsbook for the U.S. Open, which continues today on the West Coast in California, San Diego at Torrey Pines. Brooks Kepko right now is the odds-on favorite to win the U.S. Open at plus 650. He has won two of these already. So Brooks was... I think he opened at 12-1. to I think that's where he was pre-flop on the tournament. Now 650. Louis Ushazen's playing very, very well right now. And Louis is plus 700. He is tied for the lead right now. He is even through four on the round, but four under yesterday. Brooks Kepka is two strokes back. He has not teed off yet today. And Brooks Kepka is the odds on favorite to win this thing, which is pretty interesting. Well, actually, I'm sorry. He has teed off. Hold on. Let me see. Uh, the updated leaderboard here. Brooks, oh no, I'm right. 114 Pacific time, 114 today. 
at two under. Brooks has not teed off yet, but he's at two under. So Richard Bland at four under. He's shot three under through eight today. He is on fire. Louie is even par through four after shooting four under yesterday. Russell Henley tees off at 103 Pacific time. Uh, Francisco Molinari tees off at 114 Eastern time. Rafa Cabrera Vela tees off at 220. Rory McIlroy is one under today. He's also at two under par. Xander Shoffley's at two under. He tees off at 136. John Rahm is one over today on his round through five. He's at one under par. He was the betting favorite to win. And I'm sorry, I'm reading this. Now it just flipped. Interesting. Hmm. So as I'm watching and reading this, now John Rahm is six over. John Rahm must have just done something. He must have just eagled. No, he just bogeyed. Why would that? That's interesting. So John Rahm on five, bogeys the fifth hole, and his odds just shifted. There must have been a bet that came in at FanDuel that caused it, because as we're talking about the odds, the odds shifted right on my screen. So John Rahm is now... The fa- Again, he goes back to the betting favorite. He was plus 950 to win this tournament going into round one. He's now plus 600 as Brooks goes to plus 650. Louis goes to plus 700. Xander Shoffley is at plus 750. Rory is at plus 850. And this is the thing. If Rory is, and I probably should have bet him pre-tournament, and I did not, but I'm going to watch today. And I probably, at the turn, I may take Rory to win this thing. So I've got friends of mine in the golf world and people, but I I got a text message from a friend of mine who said, watch Rory. And if Rory is in contention, Rory very well might win the whole thing. He has rededicated himself to golf. He is working with some of his past coaches, and he's been grinding. He wants to get back to a major championship, he wants to win again, which is big, really big. And so mentally, Rory's in a really good spot. So he's two under right now through four, one under on his day. If he stays in the top 10, I'll probably grab, and he'll probably be somewhere around 7-1, to 8-1. to one. And again, I probably should have jumped on him when he was 17-18-1, to one, so it's my bad not to get in there. But I wanted to see what it was going to look like because he can go one of two ways. Rory can go and win the whole thing, or Rory can miss the cut. So it just depended for me, it just depended upon what Roy was going to look like. So I think Roy's got a real good shot here. There's a lot of unproven talent in this top 10 right now, but with Brooks and Xander Shoffley, John Rahm, Roy McElroy, you got four really big names, four really good players, and Rahm versus Brooks Kepka. I think if you ask the PGA Tour, what do they want? They would love a Sunday pairing between John Rahm and Brooks Kepka coming down the stretch here trying to win the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. And we could get it. It's very possible. But, I mean, John Rahm played really well yesterday. And on the back, he, he got off to kind of a, 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 a funky start. So he started on 10, and he birdied his first hole, then bogeyed the next two, then birdied the next two, bogeyed 15, Two pars and birdied 18, went in at 35. And on the back, but really the front, he shot one under. He birdied two and parred everything else. So he made a couple of really long putts. He picked up, him and Brooks both picked up a bunch of strokes on the field on the greens putting. 
And we'll see if that happens again here today with John Rom's second round. But the projected cut, in case you're curious, right now is two over par, which is really concerning for a bunch of big names like Bryson DeChambeau, currently three over par right now, one over on the day. He's playing the seventh. He would miss the cut as of right now. Jordan Spieth at plus four over. If he misses the cut, tip of the cap to David Behrman from ESPN Chalk, who came on here, and I said, give me a long shot bet that you've made. He said, Jordan Spieth to miss the cut at plus 260. Jordan Spieth right now, better hustle. He is. He's two under par. Shot a 77 yesterday. He's two under on the day. He's four over. So he's recovered in a big way from the six over he shot yesterday. But he needs to keep keep it going here. He has birdied the first uh, two of his first six holes today for his second round. So he's trying to make the cut. But right now, he's got a lot of work to do. Phil Mickelson, four over par. The books were in love with this. Shot a 75 yesterday. He'll tee off at 136 today. And Phil had the biggest liability. And we talked about it yesterday. There was a lot of anger here in Las Vegas at book books here that put Phil as the odds-on favorite to win the tournament because of the liability that they had on Phil. They had dropped his odds all the way from 66-1 to to 8-1. to I mean, that's crazy. Okay. It's not the way you're supposed to bookmake. It's just ridiculous. I know the liability says, okay, everyone's betting on Phil, so make Phil the, the odds on favorite. But Phil Mickelson was not winning this tournament. And if you were betting Phil 8-1, to one, I mean, come on, man. That's just, not, that's just not logical at all. But, you know, we'll see what happens here as the tournament unfolds. Colin Morikawa, I've got Colin Morikawa to come in the top 10. He's also at four over par, so that's not good for my bet. I have Tony Finau also making the top 10. He shot a three over 74 yesterday, so he's outside. He could miss the cut as well. So Will Zelateris shot five over. A lot of golfers. Max Hama shot five over. Big name players are going to need a big second round to make the cut, and we'll see what the projected cut line will rise to if it does, or does it drop down? Two over par right now, and there is a laundry list of golfers who are at two over par right now for the U.S. Open. Abraham Answer, uh, Stuart Sink are at two over par. So, we'll, we'll, and Jason Korkrak, uh, who is a pretty big favorite in the betting world to win this tournament at two over par, he also is somewhat in jeopardy of missing the cut unless he plays well today here on a Friday. So, we'll see what, what it looks like as we go through this, but four over the lead. Richard Bland, Louis Oosthuizen, and Russell Henley all are at four under par. First two are on the course. Henley tees off at 103. John Rahm on the course at two under. He Okay, Rahm just birdied. Maybe that's why the odds shifted. Rahm birdied on six. He's now two under par. Same with Rory McIlroy. Patrick, Can- Patrick Cantlay's at two under. Brooks Kapka's at two under. Santa Shoffley's at two under. So uh, Molinari and Cabrera Bello are the only two at three under and so we're looking at five players who are three under or better and the rest of the field charging from behind and we'll see what the weather looks like today what the wind looks like today if it's windy or not but the south course is more difficult and the par 71 yesterday played pretty tough and you know the the, the low round was a 67 by Henley and Usazen and we're probably going to see a better number than that but we saw 80s yesterday 
380s, an 82 yesterday, a a bunch of 79s as well. So the course is playing like a U.S. Open, which is what I like. I want tough golf courses for the U.S. Open. Okay, so we'll follow that and watch that. Ryan Bology is going to come on here who he, and ask him who he thinks is going to win this tournament coming up in the next segment. we got two NBA games tonight, Philadelphia and Atlanta, Jazz at the Clippers. As I mentioned, the big news this morning is that Mike Conley Jr. is progressing towards playing tonight for the Utah Jazz. They need him desperately. I didn't bet this game for that very reason because Jazz and the Clippers, you have to find out about what Conley is going to do. If he plays... I think Utah's live, but the line's rising because the books are, I think, anticipating Conley playing. So Utah now is minus two and a half at the FanDuel Sportsbook. Clippers are at home catching two and a half. I mean, they're just daring us to take Clipper money line, right? I mean, they're just daring us. Look, I've got a bet on the Utah Jazz to win the West, but do I think the Clippers could close it out tonight? Yeah, I do. If Conley's ankle, sorry, if if Donovan Mitchell's ankle is still a problem, and if Conley's hamstring looks like James Harden's hamstring, I don't think they're going to win this game tonight. And I think you got plus money on a home dog in a closeout game for the Clippers, who are deeper. Look, if Paul George plays the way he played last night, I don't know, man. This is... It feels like this is the Clippers. It feels like the right side here is to bet the Clippers. It's obviously a hedge on my bet, on my future bet at plus 355 to get that money back. And we could go to a Game 7. It's really possible. We, we, we In Game 7 in Utah, I would definitely favor Utah to win Game 7 at home. But this is Game 6. Woof. Hard not to bet the Clippers tonight in my mind. And Sixers and the Hawks. I'm on Philly in the first half. I'm not going near the second half. I'm not touching the free throws. I'm not touching this team. These guys are choke artists. I want no part of Philly. Give me Philly minus one and a half in the first half to come out blazing. They're minus three for the game, but I got it in minus one and a half in the first half last night, so that's what I'm doing. That's the only play I'm making with Philly and Atlanta coming up here tonight. Next, Ryan Bollinger joins us. Let's break down the field. U.S. Open round two and into the weekend. We'll pick some plays, some angles and odds to bet next here. I'm pushing the odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Pushing the odds live from Las Vegas. Here's Matt Peralt. It is round two of the U.S. Open happening at Torrey Pines, the South Course outside of San Diego. Let's get to Ryan Bollinger to break down round two as we go into the weekend. And at Ryan Bollinger on Twitter, uh, owner of the Golf News Net and the GolfNewsNet.com. Ryan Matt Peralt, how are you? Do we have Ryan? Hi, Ryan. Hey, Matt. How are you? <laughs> I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Sorry, I couldn't hear you there for a second. <laughs> All right, so here we go pre-tournament with everyone here in Vegas and across the betting world all in love with Phil Mickelson. We now know that was not a very smart wager, but does Phil make the cut in your mind? 
I feel like it's a coin flip. I mean, I kind of he he didn't play very well yesterday, but he also didn't play extremely poorly. He just kind of got caught up in a U.S. Open setup. So I think if he can rally a little bit today, just kind of hover around par. I'm thinking plus four, plus five is probably going to be what gets to the weekend in the end, unless there's a rash of scoring I'm, I'm not seeing right now. Wow. Um, so it, it's possible. I mean, it's possible. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's likely, but I'll give it a coin flip chance. Yeah, I just I saw all everyone betting it. I'm like, stop betting with your heart, people. This is not the way to do mm-hmm. it because we want we want Phil to do it. But just because he won the PGA doesn't mean he's going to come back and win the U.S. Open. But going into the tournament, John Rahm was the favorite. He played well yesterday, not incredibly well, but well enough, I felt like, yesterday. How do you feel about feel like John Rahm's chances after watching him play round one? I feel good about them. I, I generally think in a major championship, you try to build up through three rounds to get yourself to where you want to be for Sunday. You don't necessarily go out, put a marker out there usually, and say, all right, you got to beat me, and, and then no one ever gets to you. It, it's very rare that that happens. So I like the approach, especially in the U.S. Open, trying to fill out the golf course, trying to see what the setup is like in live action, and then just try to get a little bit better than par, a little bit better than the field average. And John Rahm did just that. He, he put himself among the – there were a lot of names that were under par, but plenty of them are within a handful of strokes of the lead. That's where you want to be after day one of a major. doesn't matter how you got there or how close you are to the lead, just that you're there. So he, he's done his job so far. All right, so I had a friend of mine who said earlier before, and I didn't bet it, I probably should have, but he said, look, it, if Rory McIlroy is in the top 10 come the end of Friday, he's got a really good shot at winning this thing. Well, right now he's one under par. He was two under there for a second. He just made a bogey. But even on the day, shot 70 yesterday. What do you make of Rory's chances, and do you agree that he has uh, you know, recommitted himself here to golf and he is working with old coaches and he's getting to be you know, the old Rory McIlroy? Well, he's working with a guy named Pete Cowan, who, I mean, this is the first guy that Rory McIlroy has worked with that isn't Michael Bannon, who has been his longtime childhood coach in, you know, call it 20, 20 years, basically. Um, and they put some good work together, although Pete Cowan has McIlroy hitting a fade, which is – kind of ugly compared to the beautiful Rory McIlroy draw we've come to know over his professional career, but it's a little bit more effective if he believes in it and sticks with it. My question mark around Rory is there's always the Sunday issue. I mean, he gets himself into contention more than maybe anybody other than Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth in terms of proximity to the lead after 54 holes. But his Sunday record is atrocious. It is just across the board bad. And so he also has not won a major in seven years. It'll be seven years next month, uh, actually in August, since his last major championship. So uh, I guess I have a hard time believing McElroy is going to suddenly close the deal and become the kid that won four majors when he has this much scar tissue behind him. That's not to say he can't win. Mm-hmm. I just think he's burnt enough people enough times to make it really hard to say, well, if he's here, then the outcome is a victory. I, I just don't, I can't make that leap. So Xander Shoffley is a guy that I bet to come in the top 10. And I know every major, he's a very popular selection. He's from the region. He has, talk about scar tissue, I mean, he's a guy that, kind of like Tony Finau, who I also thought would play better than he has, could be in contention come the weekend. What do you make, what do you make of Xander after round one? And is it, is it wise to expect him to play well on the weekend? I'm happy with where he is. I have a win ticket on him. I have had 
high expectations for this particular venue for him for two or three years now because the U.S. Open is clearly his major. He likes this style of setup. Um, I, I think being a local kid adds a little bit of pressure. He doesn't have a, necessarily the best record in the regular tour event, but he does have a top 15 finish, so that's okay. I think he's handled it pretty well. I, uh, he seemed to have a lot of circles and squares on the card, which isn't necessarily the best way to play a U.S. Open. You kind of <laughs> want to look pretty clean <laughs> out there, but uh, maybe just getting a feel for things yesterday. And, and he got himself at one point into a share of the lead. So I, I think he's got a taste of it. I think he knows he's building up these opportunities to win major championships that have gone by the wayside. And at a certain point, he's got to cash in on them, or maybe that wave passes him by. So I, I think he probably has a sense of urgency about this week. I believe he'll respond to it. Matthew Wolf's scorecard yesterday had five pars on it. Everything else was either a bogey, birdie, or double. I, speaking of clean, can you play a U.S. Open that way? Not long haul, I don't think. <laughs> um, I, I just think there are way too many emotional ups and downs. Thursday, Friday, I think you can be a, a little erratic on the scorecard and put yourself in position. But you kind of have to button things up by Saturday or Sunday because at that point you know – the lead stuff is happening in front of you with unfolding in front of your eyes. So you have a different emotional reaction to that than just seeing some guys' names on the leaderboard move up and down and yours be part of it. So I, th- I think if, if he's doing anything today, uh, he's going to get it out of his system if he's going to be a contender come the weekend. But you can't just – I feel about major championships, it, it maybe quite the same way about golf tournaments in general, but you have to play about 45 really good holes in a 72-hole tournament. And then you probably have 18 clunkers somewhere in there. And then you've got to manage kind of ho-hum the rest. So mm. I, I don't think he he's quite very far in that tally yet. I mean, he obviously had eight birdies yesterday. And he's, I think, the only guy in the, the history of the U.S. Open going back a long way to have eight birdies and uh, five, you know, basically no, hardly any pars. Um, <laughs> it's just – it's. It's kind of a historic scorecard, really, but I don't think he can continue on that pace and expect to have a good result here. His his back was birdie, par, birdie, birdie, par, bogey, double, bogey, birdie. <laughs> that was his back nine <laughs> yesterday. I mean, just are you serious? Like, it's just a did one par or two pars on the back nine yesterday at, uh, for, for, at Torrey Pines. So Brooks Kepka had a video, had a, had a meeting with the, with, with the media, he walks off, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember which day it was, but he was laboring. I mean, he was having a tough time walking, like walking up yeah. the steps, right? And then he goes out yesterday, and he shoots a two under par, and he comes off and says, my knee feels better than it ever has before. He was just playing us, right? One way or the other. I mean, I, I don't think his knee is in good shape. I mean, if you watched him get around Kiowa Island the final round of the PGA with Phil, he didn't look particularly healthy, and I think that bothered him to a degree. And then an add-on that he wasn't playing that well, an add-on that everyone was rooting against him compared to Phil, and I think that just kind of piled up. I think yesterday, coming down the stretch, his knee did take a toll on him because he was compensating and hitting tee shots left instead of just kind of pummeling him down the fairway as he was doing earlier in the round. And those leaks cost him a couple of shots that cost him a an opportunity to have a share of the first round lead or, or maybe outright first round lead. So I, I think he, he, for him, stamina is an issue. It, it's just going to be one. Fortunately for him, this is a somewhat flat ish 
golf course for long stretches of it. So if your knees bothered by the ups and downs of walking a golf course, this golf course is not that bad of a place to be. Uh, same thing was true of Kiowa and he still seemed to kind of let it bother him. So I don't, I really don't believe much of anything Brooks Kepka says about his health. I just kind of go after what he's actually showing on the golf course when he's not thinking about it. Ryan Bollinger joining us here on Pushing the Odds. Before I run out of time, and, and I'll get a winner pick from you here in a second, but what is your opinion on the outlawing of green books and how significant could it be for golfers like Bryson DeChambeau and others who really rely on that information for the greens? I think it's great. I think it, it never should have gotten this far. A couple of years ago, the USGA in, initiated a regulation that basically limited the amount of detail you could have in these green books and the size of the print that you could have on them and all these different things to make them not quite as valuable. And obviously that didn't work. And I think Rory McIlroy pushing for it, the PGA tour board uh, player advisory council, they push for it. They have voted that through. So that's going in either late this season or, or right with the start of the next season. I think it works in two ways for the positive, for the fan, it speeds up play. You've seen players take a minute, just to look at the read in the green book instead of actually figuring out how the putt breaks reading the surface. And I genuinely believe as a competitive golfer that reading greens is a tremendous skill. You need, it is one of the most important skills in golf. You need to be able to do it well. And so to effectively have a, a handicap aid working on your behalf and you can read that, I, I think that has given some guys and among them, Bryson DeChambeau uh, too much of an edge and getting rid of them, I think is the right thing to do. Do you see an immediate impact? Like, will we see scores be different immediately next year when this goes into effect? Maybe to an element. I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the wording of the ban. Because if you're allowed to use them in practice rounds, then maybe you can glean a little bit more intelligence than you would if you didn't have them anyway. But I, I think we'll see maybe quarter strokes here, here and there. I mean, most of the most of putting is really variable. Anyhow, it's really hard to make a 40-foot putt. Yeah. So if the difference of you making a 40-footer is 1.5% versus 1.8%, is that big of a deal? No, probably not. But if your proximity to the hole is poor, then that's going to reflect in your putting stats maybe a little bit more. So it, it kind of all works together as a system. But I don't think we're going to see these kind of glaring changes in player scoring averages just because they don't have this crutch anymore. Interesting. I did not even know that the, the Masters was the only – major that you could not use green books at i learned that yesterday mm -hmm. i was like oh wow that's interesting and now and now there no one's gonna be able to use it all right as we come and now think about bryson whose record is horrible at the masters because he doesn't have those green books so <laughs> that's a great point okay yeah he has struggled dramatically at augusta okay interesting i thought it was the driving is an inability to put the ball in the right spot but yeah putting as well he's not putted well <laughs> at augusta all right so who wins this thing coming up on sunday who do you like to to, to win this u.s open Xander hasn't made me look bad yet, so I have to stick with this pick. I'm way too deep in on it, uh, years in the making. So I'm, I'm going to go with Xander Shoffley. But I, I still think John Rahm has a tremendous opportunity in front of him to get his first major. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those two guys in the end. Yeah, I have I have Xander in the top ten. I have Ron and Rahm in the top ten. I got Morikawa and Finau who need some serious help here and got to get going to make the, the top ten. Yeah, even make the cut. So you think four plus four is going to be the cut line? Yeah, I'm thinking plus four. Um, I mean, I guess it could be surprised to be plus three, but I like plus four right now. All right, both those guys are at plus three and plus four, so they got to get on their horses and get going here for round number two. Ryan, great stuff, man. Thank you for the time. Really appreciate you coming on.
Thanks, Matt. Ryan Bollinger, at Ryan Bollinger, owner of thegolfnewsnet.com, joining us here on Pushing the Odds. He likes Xander Shoffley to win this. I've got Xander with a plus 150 ticket to come in the top 10. I've got Rom at plus 120 in the top 10. Finau, top 10 at plus 190. And Morikawa, the long shot at plus 235. Morikawa after round one, four over par. Not really where I want him to be right now, but love of golf to go here on a Friday. We continue coming up next. It is Pushing the Odds on a Friday. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. As you continue listening to Sports Grid, ask yourself, and be honest, am I listening enough? Probably not. 16 hours a day. That's all we ask. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. 702-751 map the text line 702-751-6288 here on a Friday's pushing the odds we're going to welcome in the sports map radio audience coming up in the next hour in the next segment Russell Henley is the sole leader right now as as what Ryan Bollinger talked about the scores are starting to climb here a little bit for golfers on the course right now Louis Oosthuizen is one over par. John Rahm, even par. Both those golfers yesterday played pretty well. Shot 68, uh, sorry, 67 and 69, respectively. And they are currently through six and through eight right now on the second round, for the second round. Uh, No one really is making that big of a charge. The best round on the day going right now is two under par. And there are a laundry list, including Jordan Spieth, who has who was two under on the on the day, who is now at four over par, trying to get to that three or four. Patrick Reed now is one under for the tournament. He's two under on the day. Richard Bland is three under on the tournament, two under on the day. He's making the turn right now to head towards the back uh, for his second round. So John Rahm, even par on the day, but two under for the tournament. A lot of golfers at even par who are on the golf course, and a lot of golfers at one over, two over, three over. Some golfers like Hideki Matsuyama having a really rough run today. Five over through seven for Hideki Matsuyama. Cameron Smith, five over through six holes today. That's not good. He shot one over 72 yesterday. He is really, really struggling right now. He bogeyed 11. He birdied 13. He tripled 14. He doubled 15. So things, the wheels are coming off for Cam Smith right now, who... Everyone loves the mullet, but he's not loving the U.S. Open course right now. Things are rough for him. So we'll obviously watch this as we roll through the next hour. See who's going to wind up heading towards the weekend and really what the cut line is. I still say there should be somebody doing a red zone for majors for the cut line. Who's making it and who is not. I still think somebody needs to be doing that on broadcast television. But what do I know? Gambling. 
That's all we really care about, right? The guy's going to make the weekend. Hour two next year. I'm pushing the odds. Don't move. Coming at you all day. Every day. With more attitude than other lesser networks would deem appropriate.